Well, good morning. My name is Chad Myers. I'll be our, your guest speaker for today. I am an executive pastor at Calvary Church uh, outside of St. Louis and St. Peter's. And I was here in October, and that was a pleasure for me uh, to be here with you. Uh, and so I'm glad to be here again. It was warmer in October when I came. And I left St. Louis, and it was like 20 degrees, and I looked at the highs here in Columbia, and I thought, man, I don't need my coat. That's going to feel like a heat wave. That was a mistake. Walked over here this morning. It's chilly. I'm really glad you're here, and I, I love that we're in a series uh, called How to Win Within. Uh, the idea of you know, knowing what's going on inside of our hearts, having those interior conversations, going on the interior journey, so to speak. And here's one of the reasons I think it's so important to have this conversation, because I think the goal of this series may be something like this, that the rhythms of our life from inside out might match the proclamations of our lips so that the watching world might see us and say, oh, so that's new life, that's redeemed life, that's what they talk about. I, I, I wanna know more about that. I think I want in on that. And so I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of what we're doing here and what you're doing here at Mount Horeb today. And uh, what I wanna talk to you about is shifting your strategy with anxiety. Shifting your strategy with anxiety. What makes you nervous? Does traffic make anyone nervous? Being stuck in traffic make anybody nervous? How about exams, tests? You know, you feel like you're put on the spot. You got to know stuff. Makes you halfway nervous. Thanks for sharing. Uh, how about an um, email from your boss that says, can we talk? Yeah, I know that makes you nervous. Your mom sends you a text. We need to sit, your father and I need to talk to you. That makes people nervous. How about long sermons? That make anybody nervous? Me too. That makes me nervous. I visited a church recently out in the St. Louis area, and uh, this preacher went to the same seminary as I did. I didn't know him. And after about 20 minutes of him really getting into this text in the book of Exodus, talking about the Hebrew verbs and the tenses and the nuances and all this, it was 20 minutes. He said, okay, now I got 12 observations I'd like to make from this passage. <laughs> this college student in front of me, she looks at her friend, she goes, Oh, <laughs> I said, me too. <laughs> I got all tight. That makes me nervous. And for some of us, we have strategies around those common anxieties. If we don't like traffic, we just take a different route. Uh, maybe we study more effectively or ahead of time or with a group so we feel more prepared. Maybe we don't go to the church where the guy's like, here's 12 observations from the passage. But what about other anxieties, deeper anxieties, Maybe there's an anxiety that's getting in the way of our core relationships or our faith. What about when we have anxiety and it blocks us from using our voice, from being who we think we're supposed to be and who God's called us to be, stepping into our skin, as I like to say? What about when anxiety blocks us from engaging in healthy and loving conflict? And we don't want to say anything because we're not sure what they're going to think about us and we don't want to really rock the boat and they may not like us and I kind of need them to like me. I need their approval so we don't engage in conflict and we miss out on intimacy and richness in that. What about when anxiety blocks our dreams and we play it safe? We say, I don't want to think and live and take risks and get out of the box because who knows what can happen? And so our lives begin to slowly shrink or maybe, 
maybe you have what some people call just a phantom anxiety. I can relate to that. Or it's not really tethered to any one thing specifically. It's just this overwhelming sense of I'm anxious and don't really know what to do about it. Experts are saying that the anxiety that teens struggle with today is something similar to people who were in insane asylums in the 40s and 50s. There's a heavy burden. So what do we do? And what's your strategy? What is your strategy with anxiety? And I'm going to assume my premise is that we all have a strategy. We may not know it but we all have a strategy in this relationship with anxiety and does it need to shift? Do we need to shift our strategy? You know, when sports teams prepare for a game, they have a game plan, they have a strategy and they come in and at halftime, they often step back and they, they take a look at it. Is it working? Are we accomplishing it? Are we winning? Do we need to shift our strategy? You know, when you're in a relationship and you get to a place where whatever brought you to each other and got you this far won't take you there, and it's not working anymore, but you don't want to bail on it, you have to shift the strategy. We got our kids, uh, Great Dane puppy, uh, in the middle of last year, and they don't stay puppies for very long, and when the Great Dane was two months old, they could walk her, they could handle her, but when it turned six months old and it drugged them across the street to pick up a poodle and play with it, I think, and we get a text from the poodle's owner like, hey, your dog picked up my dog by the head. Um, I don't know if your kids should walk the dog anymore. Well, I got to shift the strategy. I spent the rest of the day showing pictures to our dog of little dogs that it was not allowed to eat. <laughs> Maybe you need to shift your strategy. What is it? And my goal is simply this. I'm going to try to bring to surface some strategies that we may be using that we may not be aware of, and I would like to talk about a strategy that I think would be helpful. Now, here's my concern. In many Christian conversations around anxiety, um, often they are uh, either biblical but unhelpful or helpful but unbiblical. And this may be a bit ambitious for me, but I would like to hope to do both. I want to root us in a passage, but I hope that it's also helpful to get some traction in everyday life around our battle with anxiety. So I'm going to talk about ineffective strategies and a tried and true strategy. Our text for this morning is Philippians 4, 6 through 7, and it reads like this. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And what I want to talk about is maybe bring to surface some ineffective strategies that we have around anxiety. If you look at the first part of that passage, Philippians 4, 6a, it says this, do not be anxious about anything. And I think all people, all human beings intuitively have this sense, have this passage working within them. They, they feel anxious and they think, well, I don't want to be anxious. I don't know what to do about it. And we have this passage explicitly that says, hey, don't be anxious. The, the tense is probably more like, hey, stop being anxious, right? You're anxious, but just kind of calm down a bit. And it says, don't be anxious. And then there's this large space between, well, what do we do with that? And so we naturally try to fill in the space, space with effective strategies, what we think is going to work. And maybe one of those strategies we think is working for us is denial. It's denial. And I see this often. And it's really easy in religious context to have this as some, some form of strategy. We grew up in Sunday school. 
And we learn the Bible. And so we hear this and we think, well, the Bible says that I'm not supposed to be anxious. And that's the right answer. And so I've got to let people know that I know the right answer and I'm not supposed to be anxious. So therefore, I'm not anxious. That's denial. And so what we do is we often try to convince ourselves that those things aren't really going on inside of us and we present a false front to everyone else and that catches up to us. And the challenge with denial, friends, is this. It's that whatever is denied cannot be healed. Let me say that again. Whatever is denied cannot be healed. And so Trevor kicked us off last week and he started to talk about you know, how to trust the truth. You have to trust what's true. And I would add on to that and say, you do, and you have to trust what's true about what's going on inside of you. You see, the Spirit in John 14 is called the Spirit of Truth, and so the Spirit works in courageous honesty. He's free to move in those places. And so for some of us, maybe a start today is just simply taking down the walls of denial and saying, you know what? Whew, it feels good to say it, but it's hard. I really struggle with that. That's hard for me. I didn't think it was okay to struggle with that, but I do struggle with that. Another form of denial can be that we wear anxiety as a badge of honor. Maybe you know someone like this. It's like, you know, I'm just a worrier. It's just what I do. And what else am I supposed to do? I'm a worrier. I'm a wor- I can't fix it. I can't change it. That's just what I got to do. I can't really help it. The Bible calls us to take more responsibility over the battle within so that we might move forward representing who God is. So we have denial as an ineffective strategy. Another one is escapism, is escapism. And this can, be, can seem like a really effective strategy because everything in today's culture, I think, leans towards this way. I don't necessarily wanna you know, sit still with the three minutes I have, the five minutes I have, the one hour I have. I, I need to be distracted from whatever's going on inside. And friends, you can do that in many different ways. I was at uh, the Home Depot the other day. I think it's incredibly brilliant that they branded the Home Depot with the definite article, the, the Home Depot, and it's not just Home Depot, it's the Home Depot. I have no proof for this. I just think it's really, really fascinating that it's the Home Depot. Anyways, I was at the Home Depot and I needed to get some touch-up paint and apparently a lot of other people needed paint that night as well. And I'm there alone and I'm standing there and I'm waiting and I, who knows how long it's taking for people to mix the paint and figure all that out. And what do people often do when they have some downtime? They reach for their devices. They say, oh, I got time to kill. Anybody text me, email me, any news feeds, any social media feeds? And I'm sitting there, and right behind me to the side was this dad and his daughter, and she was probably three years old, and I have the spiritual gift of eavesdropping. Anybody else have that? <laughs> and so I was listening and watching to what was going on, and he was engaging with his daughter, and all of a sudden, they kind of got quiet, and I hear this. Okay, now put your hand like that, and put your hand here, and put your thumb up. Okay, say this with me. One, two, three, four. I declare a thumb war. No, no, oh, you can't use two hands, that's cheating. You can't use two hands, that's cheating. And I sat back and I thought to myself, what a brilliant way to use that time to teach your three-year-old the rudiments of a thumb war. That will help you in life. But I'm being serious. I'm serious because there are billions of dollars being spent, friends, on strategizing of how to keep our attention in the downtime. 
billions of dollars being spent to say, you can just binge another show, you can just binge more episodes, you can check your feed all of you want, you can take TV anywhere you go on your vacation and you don't have wife, you can just download it so you don't have to miss anything and it becomes a culture and a push of escapism and say, I don't want to deal with stuff, I just want to constantly keep moving to the next thing and the next thing. The only challenge with that is as many of you know, it catches up with us. When we don't pay attention to what's going on within, it's impossible to win within. And I know I said that strongly, but I really believe it. When we don't pay attention to what's going on within, it's impossible to win within. So we have denial, we have escapism, we have control. You know, some of us are really savvy, we're really skilled, we're, we have a high EQ, we have a high IQ, and we think, well, I can just, like, this stuff stresses me out, these people stress me out, so I'll just manage the situation and control the situation or control the team or whatever it is so that I don't have to deal with anxiety. We have, me and my wife have four kids, three girls and a boy, youngest is seven, oldest is 13, so there's never any stress in our house. Like, it's just super anxiety-free. Everything, you know, works out great. As long as people get up on time and go to school, people don't forget their lunches for school, people don't forget lunch money for school, people come home and they do their homework and they do their chores and they eat dinner and then they, you know, have some semblance of hygiene, like brush your teeth and take a shower like once a week. I didn't think that was going to be that hard when I entered into parenthood, but man, that's a real battle. Struggle is real, people. And so oftentimes what I do is I come in, and it's not helpful, but I think, how do I just manage all the chaos, and how do I control it, and maybe if I can just get ahead of it, and sometimes I use this, this thing inside that kind of puts me up, and it maybe pushes people down, and that's what control does. I'm in charge. I can't handle all the anxiety and the stress, so let me just make sure there is none around and friends, all these strategies really sabotage who God intends us to be as redeemed human beings. They really get in the way of our flourishing, of people's flourishing, of the flourishing of the community of faith. And there's probably more we could really say about these, but all of these are really, in the long run, ineffective strategies. And so is there a tried and true strategy for us? And Paul goes on to say, that there is. In Philippians 4, 6b, he says this, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so he says this, do not be anxious about anything, comma, but negative conjunction, which is meant to turn us a full 180 from wherever the previous sentence was going. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And here is what he says. After you've used some of these effective strategy, ineffective strategies long enough, and you've come to your wit's end, or you've hit rock bottom, or you've come to the end of your rope, or you're exhausted, and you just realize it's not working anymore, or maybe before that, then turn and turn to God in prayer. This is Paul's tried and true strategy here. It's prayer, prayer, and more prayer. You say, well, where did you get that? Well, right there. 
It says, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Prayer, petition, present your request. These are three different Greek words, but they're synonyms that basically get translated the same way. The New Testament was written in Greek. We have it in English for our purposes. Uh, there, there are three different words that basically say prayer. Pray about it. Prayer, prayer, and more prayer. Now, some of you are here, and maybe you grew up in the church, and maybe you've been hurt by the church, or disillusioned with Christianity or the church, or maybe you're a little more skeptical person or a cynical person, and that's okay, I can be that way most of the time as well, and you're looking at me saying, so it's that simple, prayer, prayer, and more prayer. And I'll just say this, I have something for you, let me come back to you, no, I don't think it's that simple. Just hold on a second, and I'll speak to you. But for the rest of you, it's this. Prayer, prayer, and more prayer. That we take our cares, we take our anxieties, and we pivot on them, and we turn to God in prayer. And why would Paul say that prayer is an effective strategy in the conversation around anxiety? And I think it's this. Anxiety places fear at the center of the heart, Prayer places faith at the center of the heart. Anxiety places fear at the center of the heart, and prayer places faith at the center of the heart. That's why you saw on that video earlier, the reference to Proverbs 4 is guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. And so our heart is meant to be open and free-flowing. It's meant to receive faith and give out faith. It's meant to receive encouragement and give out encouragement. It's meant to receive love and pour out love. It's meant to... Receive grace and pour out grace. It's meant to be this open conduit that we are dependent people receiving God and giving God away. And one of the greatest blockers of that flow, you and I know, is fear. Is fear. It's anxiety's older, stronger brother, fear. And Jesus tells this uh, parable in Mark chapter four, and he's brilliant for telling stories. And he says, you know, there's this farmer that goes out and he scatters uh, seed along the ground and it lands in basically four different places. Uh, there was inhospitable soil and then it lands in one place that was very hospitable soil and in one place it bears fruit and the other, other three it really doesn't. And one of those three that it doesn't bears fruit, it's because it starts to, to grow up and to uh, blossom. But what happens is these 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 uh, weeds grow up, these thorny weeds grow up, and they choke it out. And Jesus goes on later to explain the parable for us, and he says, you know what that is that chokes out that new life, that seed of faith? It's this. It's the everyday anxieties of the world. It's the cares that burden all of us down with daily living. It's what if that happens, and what if this happens, and I don't know if the kids can make it through that, and is the marriage going to survive, and I don't know how to take care of our father, and what are we going to do? It's all of those things that pop up, and Jesus says, you know, often what happens is that anxiety places fear at the center, and it chokes out the flow of God's spirit in and through us, but prayer places faith at the center of the heart and says, God, I'm not in control you're in control. I don't have to manage all the outcomes of everything, and I'm going to let you be in charge. That's what prayer does. It places faith at the center of the heart. This is what 1 Peter 5 says. Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. 
you're casting it, you're giving it over, and maybe you're picking it back up, but then you're giving it over again, and you're like, sometimes you pick it back up, and no, I gotta really hold on to this one, and I gotta really take care of it, and First Peter says, no, 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 cast it back to God, give it back to God, turn it over, and you gotta continually do this thing, and one of the things I love about Paul and Peter here in these passages is they are so incredibly humane, because guess what? They don't assume that we won't have anxiety, they assume that we will. It's so loving. They don't assume that the gospel is some magic pill that just takes away all of our problems and it just completely eradicates anxiety and I'm with that and I'm telling you that today. I don't think that's how it works. There's nothing that says it's all gonna be over and gone with. So how do we sink into it, live through it, How do we listen to it is another way to say it. How do we cast it and be shaped because of our anxieties into prayerful people? And some of you are saying, it's too simple. This is too simple. Pray about it. Come on. I've done that. It doesn't work. I'm with you. And in many cases, it doesn't work. Why? I think this. One of the key words in this passage may just be this with thanksgiving. You see that? With gratitude. With gratitude. This was a pretty challenging week for me um, for quite a few different reasons, Um, but I was um, really feeling anxious about quite a few things in my own personal life, and I was getting ready for uh, being with you, so that added a little bit of a level of anxiety, and then I had some just, you know, phantom anxiety is just anxious for no reason. And so I went on a walk and I took the dog and we shifted the strategy and I began to pray about my anxiety. And I realized uh, very quickly that the anxiety wasn't going away and I started to get frustrated. You ever done that? You're praying about it and you're thinking it's going to go somewhere and it doesn't. And so I just paused and I thought about this passage and I remembered with Thanksgiving and I thought, okay, let's Let's shift something up. All right, God, I'm thankful for the tension in my most intimate relationships because it's causing me to depend on you. God, I'm grateful for the challenges that we're facing in the workplace right now because it reminds me that I don't see all ends and that I don't know the best way forward and it causes me to be humble. And I'll tell you for this, friends, something moved, something shifted, and I thought, oh, that's what gratitude does. Gratitude says, God, this is much bigger than me. I can't handle it. I know you're gonna handle it somehow. I don't even know how, but I'm grateful for it. That's what we just sang about, and I love the lines in that song. Even though I don't see it, you're working. Even though I don't feel it, you're working. Even though I don't notice it, even though I can't measure it, I trust that you are working, and that's what gratitude does. You're up to something. I don't have to nail it down. All I gotta do is enjoy it and cooperate. Say, God, you're doing work. I know that. And maybe for some of us, it's not prayer that's the issue. It's grateful prayer. It's grateful prayer that's going to really assist us in our our battle with anxiety. 
But another thing I really want to tell you about this is quite simply this. I don't think God wants us to pray about our anxiety. I think God wants us to pray through our anxiety. Say, oh, that's interesting. Don't pray about your anxiety. Pray through your anxiety. Say, what do you, what do you mean by that? I mean this. I think sometimes uh, you, you take something and you say, well, I'm going to pray about it. And you begin to focus on it. And because you focus on it, it makes it bigger. And you keep focusing on it and you can't stop focusing on it. Like, have you ever had this experiment done where somebody says to you something like this? Hey, everybody, I want you to not think about pink elephants. Right? right? Try really hard not to think about pink elephants. Okay, I know some of you are thinking about it, but you got to work harder about not thinking about pink elephants. And, and, and you know that it doesn't work. You know that it doesn't work. Another way to illustrate it might be like this. I call this the anxiety balloon. Now, the true test of an effective illustration is not whether or not in the moment you thought it was good or extra lame with extra lame sauce on it. But the true test of an effective illustration is, did you think about it during the week? Right? Did it come to your mind? And I think you're going to think about this during the week, and because I just committed inception on you, you're doubly going to think about it, so it's definitely going to work, all right? This is the anxiety balloon. We all have a low-level anxiety in us. That's normal. It's okay. It's not a problem. We live east of Eden, where we've had to develop these defenses around us that says, is it safe? That's normal. We get prepared for stuff. That's okay. The problem comes in is when we say, I'm starting to get anxious about my anxiety, right? I don't think I'm supposed to be anxious. And then I start to feel anxious that I'm anxious. And what do we do when we feel anxious about being anxious? We increase our anxiety. And then we start to think, well, that guy with that really cool shirt, he was talking this weekend and he said that we should pray about our anxiety. And so I'm going to go ahead, me by the way, if you didn't catch that. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pray about our anxiety. And so, you know, what we do is then we start to pray about being anxious about our anxiety, but we really start to anxiously pray. And what do we do? To where all of a sudden, and some of you are laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about, may take you five minutes and it may take you milliseconds. All of a sudden, you're so discouraged and you're so defeated because you have anxiety, but now it's just blocking and consuming and it's all encompassing and it's just all over the place. And I wonder if part of our praying through anxiety goes something like this, can I be okay that I'm not okay? that's good. You're going to want to write that down. That's why I put it on the screen for you so that you could see it and write it down. I think for some of us, and I'm serious today, when we sang earlier, let's praises go up and the walls come down. For some of us, this is a key hammer to tear some of the walls down in our heart. Can I be okay that I'm not okay? Oh, that's just me being anxious. That's just me getting afraid. I'll freak out. That's what I do. Can I be okay and say, but God's working. God's working. I'm gonna tell you something else. Your problems are not your problems. Your problems are how you respond to your problems. Take that one for a rainy day. <laughs> All right. So that's the balloon illustration. That thing's gonna stick with you. I am confident of that. When I say don't pray about your anxiety, pray through it, what do I mean? And I wanna give you two of what I think are very effective prayer strategies for not praying about your anxiety, but praying through your anxiety. And the first one is this. 
Meditate on the wonder of creation. Meditate on the wonder of creation. And, and both of these practices I'm gonna give you, neither of them require using language, either out loud or silently, right? You say, well, is that prayer? Yes, it is, absolutely. Meditate on the wonder of creation. Matthew 6 says this, this is Jesus. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. At the end of this teaching, Jesus goes on to say, seek first the kingdom of God. What he's saying is, don't pray about your anxiety, pray through it. Two times in this passage, don't be anxious, don't worry. Look and see. Look at the birds. That's what he says. Now, I know my friend Grace Marie loves this passage because it gives her heavyweight authority to do what she loves to do, which is to bird watch. Friends, I did not know that there is a term for really serious bird watchers until I reconnected with Grace Marie called birders, and I'm learning a lot about that. We stepped out of the van yesterday, and she's like, oh, birds, and in a matter of a split second, she hears the sound, and then she says, oh, that's a brown-headed nuthatch. That's a pine warbler, and I thought, should we take cover? Like, what does that mean? And she's looking at the birds. And I thought it was brilliant. And I'm reminded of this passage. And Jesus says, look at the birds. And he says, see the flowers. And I think what Jesus is inviting us to is to get out into physically with our bodies in creation. I don't know what that means for you, but I think it means something. Go on a hike. Go mountain biking. Take a walk. You know, have lunch at a park, go to the zoo, watch a nature show. Friends, if all you can do is 20 minutes of a nature show, a Netflix nature show at your lunch break, add a boy, add a girl, go for it, right? There's a study that came out of the University of Michigan that says this, 20 minutes in nature will drastically reduce your stress hormones. 20 minutes in nature will drastically reduce your stress hormones. And somebody just told me in between the services, do you know why there's aquariums at the dentist office? And I said, no. And they said, because it's been proven to lower your blood pressure. And science confirms the wisdom of the scriptures. Meditate on creation. Get out there. You don't even have to be thinking I'm praying or using words, audible or inaudible. You are in the moment getting caught up in the wonder and beauty of creation. And Jesus says, oh yeah, that's a prayer practice. What about the person next to you? Be in awe by the image bearers around you or the person across the table from you that we might be filled with curiosity that we have not figured them out completely and we have not exhausted all of who they are. And given our very brief lifetime, we probably won't be able to do that. And Jesus says, be filled with the wonder of creation. My presence is all over it. It is stamped with beauty. Get lost in it. Feel free. 
The second prayer practice that I think is helpful in our conversations around anxiety is this, and I think you know it, so when I say it, you're not gonna be surprised by it, but you're gonna know that it's true. It's simply this, let go. Let go. You don't have to use words for this one either. It's a prayer of surrender. It's relaxing our defenses towards God, right? I was um, one of the most brilliant things that me and my wife have instituted for our family is what we call Sunday night cereal bar. And Sunday night cereal bar is quite simply this. It's where we don't have to think about what we're gonna do for dinner. We don't have to prepare anything. We don't have to unthaw anything. We don't have to do anything. We are going to eat cereal for dinner. All we have to do is go to the store and go down that aisle and pick up the cereal, and we're all gonna sit down, and it's Sunday night cereal bar. We get two or three or four different kinds. Everybody loves it. And so I was at Costco one day. You guys have a Costco here? And uh, that's a great place to buy cereal, by the way, because it's in like two or three packs. And uh, I was standing right in front of the Cinnamon Toast Crunch. It had captivated me. And a woman was walking by with her basket, and she paused, and I'm assuming she was trying to be very helpful, and she says to me as I was staring at Cinnamon Toast Crunch, she says to me, did you know there's cleaning ingredients in that? And I sat back and I thought, well, actually, no, I didn't know that. And she says, yeah. And she comes over to me and she grabs the box and she turns it on its side and she goes down and she finds it and she says, there it is right there. That's the cleaning ingredient. They use that ingredient in other cleaning solutions. And I thought, that's interesting. Thank you so much for sharing. And so I politely stood there until she had rounded the corner And I grabbed me my big old box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and that night, our family of six crushed some Cinnamon Toast Crunch and downed all the milk, and the cleaning ingredients never tasted so good. (laughs) And friends, sometimes we just have to let go. Just get out of the way. Just be present. I think God is always inviting us to little moments of joy and wonder and delight. And all we have to do is not get in the way of it and just be present to it and present in that moment. And we have to let go. This is what Philippians 4, 7 says. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which I'm gonna interpret for us as I think it means this. What does it mean that it transcends all understanding? It means something like this. Can I trust that I am enveloped in peace even when I don't experience it? Can I trust that I am enveloped in peace even when that is not what is going on inside of me? It transcends all understanding. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's the subject of the sentence? The peace of God. What's the verb? Guard your hearts and minds. Who's doing the work? God is. What do I need to do? Get out of the way. You're gonna guard it. You're gonna guard my heart and mind. You love me more than I could ever know. You're more involved than I could ever know. All I really need to do is get out of the way because I can be my own worst enemy. Oh, that's just me. Being anxious, that's just me and my struggle. I got it. I'm praying through it. God's doing something. I'm not where I should be, but I'm not, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. God's doing a work in me and I don't have to freak out about everything I can't figure out. 
I said this was a little bit of a tough week. One of the reasons was because my wife uh, is away on a retreat, and I, was have, I had the four kids at home and uh, trying to work and all that stuff. But my youngest is seven years old, and her name is Isabella, and she is uh, okay with that name, but she prefers that we call her Izzy. I can also get a, away with a nickname uh, known as Fuzzy, and so I often stick to that one, and I call her Fuzzy. And uh, Fuzzy got sick over the weekend. And she started to run a fever. And if there's anything I do not handle well as a dad, it's sick kids, just because it just breaks my heart. And I, I just want them to get over it as fast as possible. And so she started to run a fever. So I was up with her in the middle of the night, helping her, taking care of her. It was going around 100, 102. And so I started to get a little concerned. And on day four, I said, you know what? I got to call the doctor. I don't want this thing to get any worse. And I'm going to get her into the doctor. And we're going to try to take care of this. And I made the mistake of telling Fuzzy that we we were going to go to the doctor that day because I forgot that she is terrified of going to the doctor. And so I thought I was being a great dad. You know, hey, Izzy, I know you've been sick, but I'm going to take care of you today. We're going to go to the doctor and we're going to get you all better. And she just lost it. And she's laying on the ground and throwing a tantrum and she's got some pipes. So she was like, no, no, I don't need to go to the doctor. I don't want to go to the doctor. And she's rolling around. And then all of a sudden, she's like, my stomach hurts. Oh, my stomach hurts. It's so bad. And I'm like, well, where's it hurting? And she's like, right here on the right side. And I'm like, where? And she's like, right here on the right side. It's hurting so bad, Dad. My stomach hurts so bad. And I'm a type six on the Enneagram. So I'm like afraid of any worst case scenario. And I freak out about anything. So I'm like, appendicitis? Could this be appendicitis? I'm like, is my kid going to make it through the weekend? And so I, I, everybody's an armchair doctor when it comes to like piecing symptoms together. And I get on WebMD and sure enough, they confirm all of my suspicions. It could be appendicitis. So I call the doctor and I'm like, hey, hey, here's the new symptoms. What's going on? And she's like, oh yeah, well, I don't know. You probably shouldn't come to us. Just skip us and go straight to the emergency room. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. And she's like, but has she had the symptom the whole time? And I'm like, no. And she's like, can she stand up and walk? Or is she doubled over? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll call you back. Hang up with the doctor. And I'm like, Izzy, you, you know, you, they don't teach you this in parenting school. You're, you're, you're shooting from the hip at most of it. And I'm like, Izzy, um, can you stand up and walk for me? And she's like, what? I don't want to stand up and walk. I'm like, I just need to know which doctor we're going to today. Can you please stand up and walk? So finally, she stands up. She takes a few deep breaths, and she begins to walk. And so I take a few deep breaths, and I think to myself, okay, she hasn't had this symptom the whole time. Maybe she's just reacting about going to the doctor. And I say, is your stomach hurt anymore? And she's like, not really, but kind of. I'm like, where? She's like, all over. I'm like, okay. And so we end up going to the normal doctor that day. And she had just had a virus. And that night her fever broke. And she was all better. And I ask you this. Was the sickness the problem in that moment? No. It was how she reacted to the sickness in that moment. And for many of us, we just need to know it's not necessarily the anxiety. We don't need to pray about it. We need to pray through it. How do we live well with it? And how do we say, can I be okay that I'm not okay? That's just me getting in my own way. Can I relax that? Can I let go? And for some of you who are here, maybe you're checking out Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time or checking out the church. And I just want to say that that is a picture of the good news of Christ. 
that it's not necessarily the problem that we're all ill. That's the starting point. That we're sick and that every strategy that we have exhausted to try to make ourselves better isn't really working. But we don't have to get bent out of shape about that because a way has been paved through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he loves us more than we could ever imagine or ever experience. And we have, all we have to do is say, you know what? I am ill and I can't make myself better. I need something bigger than me, something outside of me, someone to come rescue me. And I know the heartbeat of the staff here would love to pray with you, would love to connect with you, and would love to help you in your faith and in your relationship to Jesus. For the rest of us, can we begin this journey of how to win within and shifting our strategies around anxiety? Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful for your text. We think it's true. We do think it's helpful. Forgive us where we have told other people in ways and it's been unhelpful. Father, my prayer for us this morning is that you would expand our hearts through the good news of Christ. That we wouldn't have tunnel vision on all the things that are could go wrong or might go wrong or are going wrong or things that we need to fix or struggles of our heart, but that you would lift up our eyes to see that we are held in a love that is deeper than any of our own depths of our problems, that is wider than we could ever imagine, and that is higher than our minds can understand. May we rest in you because we are yours. And Father, help us know that even with the messiness of our hearts, you love us through and through. You have loved our whole heart through and through. And you're gonna move us towards bigger and wider living. We pray for Christ's sake, amen.